Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Maybe you're already there from our call to worship. Philippians chapter 1. Tonight's just going to be a little bit of an introduction. Philippians are written by the Apostle Paul. You probably knew that. There are 27 books in the New Testament, of which we know 13 of them were written by Paul. That's a lot of books, a lot of letters, right? They are letters, and Philippians is a letter as well. We see that at the beginning because Paul says he writes it, and he's writing it to to the church there. I think that you know that, but anytime it says Romans or Corinthians or Ephesians or something like that, those are the people living in that place. This morning I called us Fairdalians, and Fairdalians would be people that live in Fairdale, and Philippians would be people that live in Philippi. It's really simple, right? I mean, I love to remind you all that people, people love the excuse that the Bible's hard to understand, but it's really not in so many places. There are hard things to understand, but there's also hard things to understand if you watch Jeopardy for the first time, right? You just got to get familiar with it. Okay, there are a lot of things that are hard to understand if you're not familiar with it. But once you get familiar with something, it's not that difficult, and so is the Bible. If you know what a Fairdalian is, okay, yeah, people live in Fairdale. Well, then you know what a Philippian is. It's somebody that lives in Philippi. And if it's called the letter to the Philippians, that's real simple. You've got a man named Paul, the apostle, writing to a church in Philippi. Well, wow, that's, that's not only not complicated, but that's very interesting, right? We're a church in a town, right? We're the First Baptist Church of Fairdale. And so, do y'all hear what's happening? Y'all hear that? I grew a beard, and now we're having problems with the mic. Do y'all hear that? It's bothering me a lot. I'm glad that didn't happen this morning. (laughs) So this is what Philippians is, a letter from Paul. I want to remind you all at the outset that we're, we're a church that truly believes God saved us. The church is the people, not the place. You know that. Church is not this building. It's us. Who is First Baptist Church of Fairdale? It's us, all that belong to the church. Those who have committed ourselves to to the Lord through this place. That's us. You know, there's a lot of talk about what a local church is, and people use that phrase local church all the time. And I know, I know, I know that churches have their their issues, right? We We all know that. But when you get that reminder that the church isn't the place, but it's the people, You can see why we can say things like Curtis and I just talked about, of how we can get emotional. Even though it's passing, we can get emotional about it, right? Just think. First Baptist Fairdale is not a place. It's not 413 Fairdale Road. It's not this building. It's us. That means something. When somebody says says they used to go to that church, that means they used to connect with us now granted they may not be a believer or something like that and they 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 only came for a little bit and so we don't want to say too much about that but the church is us y'all I'm here tonight to preach because I thought y'all'd show up (laughs) and y'all came tonight to listen because y'all knew somebody'd be preaching we're a church 
We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. On the way, our boys had a soccer game today, and after lunch, we were hurrying over there, and anytime we're going there, I'll ask one of them to pray. I said, Eli, I want you to pray for the soccer game today and ask God to help y'all do your best. And he forgot to pray about that, but he did pray, God, help Daddy to preach better. And help, well, he didn't mean it like I was bad, y'all. He meant just help him do better. <laughs> I, I hear you, though. He said, <laughs> he, said, he said, dear God, help, help Daddy to preach better and help him to preach so that people will believe and help people in Fairdale to believe. He's supposed to be praying about a soccer game, but he drifted to that, and I thank God for it. But that's really what we are. I mean, pull all the smoke away, and it's really what we are. We're believing in Jesus. We're a church. And one of the things I love to point out about a church is that we may have some things in common. We may not. But we've got Jesus in common. That is the thing that can cause everybody in here from whatever walk of life, right? Some of us don't have enough money in our pocket to eat dinner tonight, and some of us can go eat any dinner we want tonight, right? We are all different walks of life, and I understand that. But we've got Jesus in common. We believe that our sins are forgiven, and we want to worship him with our whole heart. And that's what unites us. That's what makes us a church. God is at work in us. And the God has designed the Bible. This is unreal. God has designed the Bible where the end of the Bible is letters to churches. And so here we are in 2017, just a little local church. I mean, we're a growing church. We're getting bigger and bigger. There's more and more people here. But we're still kind of small. I mean, we know everybody for the most part. I'm still able to know everybody that comes here. And God has written letters to churches just like us. And that's helpful. You know, there are a lot of people who, they don't read the Bible much, and so they go and they try to. I got a call this week from somebody that said, hey, we want to start reading the Bible. What do you suggest? Just Genesis and start going through there? And I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. You could. I would start at John. Why don't you try to make it through all of John? That's 20 chapters. Try to make it through all of John, and then we'll go from there. And if you finish John, maybe then we'll go to Genesis. That's what I told them. You know, most people start out, and they just do something like this, and they read it, and they don't really know what they're reading, and then they're discouraged, right? Well, that's not us tonight. We're church. We know that Jesus is God, and he died on the cross for our sins. We know that it is by his blood alone that we can be forgiven, right? We're a church, and God writes letters to churches. So we are so far from just plopping the book open and seeing where it lands. We are listening to books written by apostles to churches. That hits home, right? That hits home. I'm excited about us studying Philippians because we're a church. It's a letter from an apostle to a church, and that's what we are. And not only are we a church, but... We also understand Paul pretty good. Man, Paul is so talked about in churches, right? I I bet the most of y'all know who the Apostle Paul is, don't you? You know who Paul is? Yeah, we do. I remember one time, and I really liked this. I remember one time in seminary, I had a professor challenge us, and if some random person who'd never heard of Christianity showed up on our church campus or showed up at our seminary, and all they wanted to do was observe. Who do you think they would follow? Who do you think they would think we follow? 
And he said, you know what happens a lot of times? We get so wrapped up in the New Testament on Paul said this and Paul said this and Paul said that, that a lot of times at a church, you'll hear people referencing Paul more than they're referencing Jesus. There's nothing wrong with referencing Paul, okay? But I just want you to know that Paul is a big icon to us, right? He is perhaps the main character in the New Testament outside of the hero, Jesus. You remember Paul's story? Man, a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees, you remember him? He thought it was of God to persecute and kill Christians. He was a Jew, and so he believed the Old Testament. He was all about good works and doing the right thing and being the right person. Yes, that's what he thought. And so when some crazy sect of Judaism came up, he wanted to get rid of them. I was at the Fairdale Fair yesterday, and right across from our booth was the Jehovah's Witnesses booth. And I have thought about going over there and getting in a big old fight with them. Not a fist fight. They had four of them. But I thought about wandering, wandering over there and really just talking to them and maybe debating them, you know? Well, what do y'all think about this? Y'all really don't think this? Well, what about this verse, right? I thought about doing that. Sometimes we get like that, don't we? Sometimes we get this little righteous anger about us. It's not necessarily all that bad, right? We call that a holy discontent, right? There's, sometimes, there's some settings where it's okay to be bothered by stuff. And when I see the Jehovah's Witnesses set up out there trying to tell everybody that Jesus isn't God, it bothers me or it upsets me. They had a big sign up that said, uh, do you know what the Bible really teaches? That's what their big sign said. Do you know what the Bible really teaches? And they're wanting to tell people that Jesus is not God. And that's wrong. Well, Paul was that way for the wrong reasons. He didn't like Christianity because he thought that it downplayed God and he thought Jesus claiming to be God was just uh, absolutely wrong. So he persecuted Christians. And one day on the road to Damascus, he was going there. And you know the story, don't you? God himself came and changed his life. I know it was a new song. We've sung it before, but I know it's a newer song. But I, I loved, I loved the song that, that we sang this morning where it says, I was blind now I see Jesus saved me. Simple lyrics, isn't it? Simple lyrics. And the way the song goes, you sing it several times in a row to try to cause it to hit home, go deep inside of you. I was blind. Now I see Jesus saved me. I used to didn't think everything in life came down to being the Bible as the foundation like I preached on this morning, but now I do think that. Jesus made me that way, right? That, that's what we were singing, and that's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. God came and found him there, and you know the story, right? And he said, why are you persecuting me? It's an awesome study. I don't know if you remember that. Jesus' question out of the sky to Paul was, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that rocked Paul's world because he knew God was talking to him. The voice was coming from the sky. He knew that it was God. He knew that something was up. He knew this wasn't right. But he had not been persecuting God. He was doing it for God. You following me? So all of a sudden, everything changed in Paul's mind. Wait a second. The, the New Testament church? Is that united to God? That to harm the church is to harm God? 
To insult the church is to insult God. To run from the church is to run from God. To, to kill the church is to do damage to God. Think about that. God said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul thinks, what? God, I, I would never do something like that to you. And God changed his heart. And God brought him to faith. And Paul realized you can't earn your salvation. Paul goes on to teach us that it was the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, that really gripped him. He says that coveting is something that happens on the inside. He said that the other nine commandments seem to happen outside of the body. But it's that 10th one that's like an inside thing. And he realized, I can make myself love God and not worship idols and keep the Sabbath and don't take the Lord's name in vain. I can honor my parents and not murder and not commit adultery and not steal and not lie. I can control that. That's what he said. But I can't make my heart stop coveting, he said. And Paul realized I'm a sinner that can't stop sinning. There is a sinfulness about me, a sinfulness inside of me that I need God to fix. And God broke him down and Paul hit his knees and he cried for mercy so that now the one who can also say, I tried harder than anybody, I was more blameless than anybody, now that same guy says, I am the chief of sinners. And God made him an apostle, the last of the apostles, the untimely apostle. There were 12, one left, there were 11, they added Matthias, now there's back 12, and then he brings in Paul, so technically there are 13. Paul's the last apostle, which means God sent him out. Apostle means one sent. God sent him out to go and take the message to the world. And he traveled around. We have three missionary journeys recorded of what Paul did. And one of the places he went was Macedonia. And Philippi is a city there. Paul visited Philippi. He preached the gospel there and people believed and he set up a church. Now Paul's gone from there and he's in Rome and he's in prison. And he's writing back to them from prison. There's several books in the New Testament that we call the prison epistles, and those are the ones that Paul wrote from prison. Not all of them are that way, but this one is. He talks about his imprisonment. We already read it there uh, in chapter 1 at our opening today. That, that's this book, the Apostle Paul, the one that is untimely. He didn't follow Jesus like the other 12. He came later, but boy, did God empower him to go. He calls himself a missionary to the Gentiles. The whole second half of the book of Acts is on Paul and his missionary journeys and the places he was going. And if that's not fascinating enough, he writes letters to churches. Man, don't you want to read those? Do you like biographies? My son, Eli, has been reading biography right now on Tim Tebow, and he's soaking it up, man. He really, really, really likes it. I think it's like 18 chapters, and he just told me today he's got one chapter left. We're riding to the soccer game. He's sitting in the back seat reading. I'm trying to give him pep talk for soccer, and he's like, stop, Dad, I'm reading. He's really soaking it up, and Josh Womble saw that he was reading that, and Josh Womble said, man, that's really cool, Eli. You know, I like to read biographies, too. I like to get right at the heart of what the person was. 
Didn't y'all think it was somewhat fascinating? I know that it was past 12, so you probably lost focus. But didn't you think it was somewhat fascinating this morning when I told you all that story about William Tyndale? Yes. William Tyndale's story is incredible. What a life to be so devoted to the importance of the Word of God, even in the midst of so much opposition. And yet in the book of Philippians, we have a man, the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to a church that he had just visited. It's like, man, I I want to see this. So that's what it is. A letter from Paul the Apostle to the Philippians. It's four chapters. You can look at it. Chapter 1 has 30 verses. Chapter 2 has 30 verses. Chapter 3 has 21 verses. And chapter 4 has 23 verses. Put all that together and you're looking at about 100, 104 verses. 104 verses in the book of Philippians. It's not that long. And Philippians is a little bit unique because it's not very theological. You know, some of these books like Romans and uh, Ephesians are loaded with a lot of deep doctrinal stuff. Philippians isn't that way. Philippians is a very practical book. Very practical. And it's kind of hard for us to understand exactly why he was writing He's writing there that he's so thankful for them. You see a lot of that there. He says, I, I love you guys. I'm encouraged by you guys. I'm thankful for you guys. I, I pray for you guys. He, he writes to them to say, hey, your support for me has been huge. I appreciate that. Um, there's some, a little bit in there about suffering, but not a whole lot. I mean, it's a, it's a unique book. But it's really, really good. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't seem like it's all that important, but it's really, really good. The best part of Philippians, if you don't know, is chapter 2, 5 through 11. You don't have to turn there right now. That's called the Christ hymn. It's a hymn, okay, that Paul includes in this letter. And in that hymn, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we have some of the richest, richest, richest teaching on Jesus Christ. If you were to ever do a study on Jesus Christ, the God-man, the person of Christ, who exactly Jesus is and was. And you know, we teach you often that Jesus is 100% God and he is 100% man. He is totally God and he is totally man in the same person. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself. He is eternal, Jesus is. And in that hymn, you have so much of that in just those few verses. It's also in Philippians where Paul writes that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Doesn't get any more clear than that. It's also in the book of Philippians that we have chapter 4 verse 13 which says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I bet everybody knows that one, right? That is such a popular verse. It's one that we love. I can't wait for us to get there because that verse in context is really, really good. It's also in the book of Philippians when you have to live as Christ and to die as gain. Big verse. That dying is better than living if you know God. That's a truth that we believe. That's a truth that we believe. Philippians is good, isn't it? Already sounds good. I'm excited. But tonight, I want us to get going with the first two verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. One of the neat things about 
the opening letters in the, in the Bible is that they often give a little add-on of who they are. They don't have to, but they do. In, 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 uh, in Jude, which I've talked about a lot lately because we've been studying that in a college Bible study. We finished it this summer, actually. Jude says he's a servant of Jesus and the brother of James. Well, that means he's also the brother of Jesus, but he doesn't say that. It's fascinating, right? It's just a little title there. I'm, I'm Jesus' servant. Well, aren't you his brother? Yeah, but I want you to know I'm his servant. Paul here tells you who he is, the servant of Christ Jesus. And I want to ask you something. Is everybody that's born again a servant of Christ Jesus? Can you know Christ and not be a servant? Do you ever speak of yourself that way? No, maybe you never get the opportunity to say something like that. So let me just say this. Do you think of yourself that way? And if you don't, I want to ask you to begin tonight. If you're a follower of Christ, do what lofty men like the Apostle Paul and his student Timothy do. Here's who we are. We're servants of Christ. Are you a servant of Christ? Do you serve the Lord? Whatever you find yourself doing, are you glad to do it? Do you realize that all of life is for his glory, so therefore all that you do is to serve him? Do you realize that when you clock into work, you're serving the Lord, and when you get home from work, you're still serving the Lord? Do you realize that cooking dinner or vacuuming or mowing the grass is serving the Lord? Do you realize that when you care for your neighbor or when you attend church or when you work the Fairdale Fair parking lot, you are serving the Lord? What it means to be a servant of the Lord, it means that your whole life's been flipped upside down, and so you now understand that every breath you take is to be for his glory, and you want that to be known, and you want that to be the case, and so everything you do serves him. The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. And they describe themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. A lot of times if you say you're a servant, somebody might say, well, what do you mean? What do you, what do, you do? How are you serving? If somebody was to ask Paul and Timothy, what do you mean you're servants? They would say just that, everything. In everything, in every way, in every setting, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I like it when somebody describes themselves as that. I hope and I pray that our church would be known as that. Whatever we can do in any area, we are glad to serve. That's Paul and Timothy. It's interesting that it's Timothy, right? Because Paul's the writer. Timothy's just with him. It's clearly a letter from Paul, but he's got Timothy with him. Y'all know who Timothy is, don't you? You've probably been around church enough. We've got two letters in the New Testament from Paul written to Timothy. That's First and Second Timothy. And you know enough to know that he was a younger guy that got saved through Paul's ministry. And in doing that, Paul raised him up to be a pastor, to be an elder. Look with me at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there. 
You know, we've kind of lost some of these, uh, these words. Y'all don't ever say that you're a disciple anymore, do you? Man, that'd be good. I realize it'd be a little bit uh, uncommon in today, but disciple just means a follower. It'd be nice for you to, instead of saying that you go to church, say you follow Christ. That's my church, I follow Jesus. Paul ends up in these towns, Derby and Lystra, and a disciple was there. Wow, I wonder, do we have any disciples here in Fairdale? His name was Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So she was Jewish, but she had come to know the Lord Jesus. But his father was a Greek. Interesting, right? His dad's a Gentile. His mom is a Jew. Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. We got any young men around here? We got any young ladies around here that are well spoken of by the church? Isn't that neat, neat story? Paul ends up there and he hears about this young disciple named Timothy and everybody speaks well of him. I hope and pray that we've got some upright, honest, godly young men and women in our church that we can speak well of, that we can say absolutely they love the Lord. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. You could turn back to Philippians. You see that, though? In Paul's missionary journeys, which we have recorded in the book of Acts, he meets this young man named Timothy, who was a disciple, and Paul takes him with him, and Paul trains him up in the faith. Paul prepares him to be a preacher of the gospel. Paul prepares him to be an elder in the church. We have two books that tell us a lot more about that, First and Second Timothy, but that's what it is. And so as... He writes now to the Philippians, Timothy is with him. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Who are they writing to? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He's writing to the church, right? He's writing to the believers, to all the saints. You know, saints... Again, it's another churchy word that people don't like to use. The Catholic Church has it way wrong that you have to be dead and gone before you can actually be a saint. A saint is anybody that is in Christ, anybody that's been made holy by the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and redeemed. That is a saint. If you are here tonight resting fully in the work of Christ, then you are a saint. You are a saint. He's writing a letter to the Philippians to the saints. If somebody wrote a letter to Fairdale, they could write to the saints that are in First Baptist Church, Fairdale. That's what the saints are, okay? That's, that shouldn't be confusing. It just means the holy ones, and that is because of Christ. We are holy because of our hope in Christ, so that's who he's writing to, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, but look what he says here. 
with the overseers and deacons. The overseers and deacons in this church are a part of the saints, but he does mention them. What are overseers and deacons? Well, there are two offices in the church. I think you know this. We've talked about it quite a bit. Since I've been the pastor here, I feel like I've talked about this so many times, and I want us to revisit it yet again. In the church, there are two offices. There are only two offices in the church. Any other committee or group or teacher or title that we have in the church is one that we've made up ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. But according to the Bible, there are two offices in the church, two titles, and those are overseers and deacons. Now, you've probably never heard the word overseer before uh, unless you've read the Bible. And if you're here tonight, you've never heard it, then let me, let, me, let me just explain. The word overseer is the same thing as a bishop, is the same thing as an elder, and practically is the same thing as a pastor. But for sure, overseer, bishop, and elder are the same thing. Now, you get into different churches and you get into different cults or different religions, they may use those terms differently in a different way, but I'm talking according to the New Testament, those things are the same. Overseer, bishop, and elder are the same thing, and practically speaking, they are pastors, okay? Practically speaking, they are pastors. You see overseer, bishop, and elder used interchangeably in the New Testament, and pastors used a little bit differently, but they're practically the same thing, Okay? Now, a little side note, I didn't tell you all this this morning. One of the things that uh, William Tyndale was doing was coming up with this word overseer this morning. There are several phrases in English. You know, when you translate, you have to figure out how to say something, right? There's not usually a, a direct translation. You know what I mean? So let me, let me give you all an example. In English, if you want to eat, you say, I am hungry, Right? You agree? I am hungry. In Spanish, which Val speaks at home, you say, yo tengo hambre, which means I have hunger. If you were to say, estoy hambre, I am hungry, they're going to say, oh, hey, hungry, right? No, I am Josh, and I am hungry. Well, which one am I, right? That's the way it would work in Spanish. So in Spanish, they say, uh, yo soy Josh, I am, yo tengo hambre, I have hunger. You see? You're not hunger, you have hunger. You follow me? So when you translate, you have to take the, the wisdom or the knowledge to say, okay, well, I'm not going to do it exactly the way it is because that wouldn't make sense, right? Well, William Tyndale was doing that, and he was coming up with the words in English out of the Greek New Testament that went here, and that's part of the, what the Catholic Church did not like him doing. Him coming up with the proper way to say it. An overseer was one of the words that William Tyndale used in English to be a leader of the church. I didn't tell you all that this morning, but we're seeing it now. There are two offices in the church, overseers and deacons. Now, nobody doubts that there needs to be lots of deacons, right? There needs to be lots of deacons. We do have lots of deacons, right? In our church right now, we have, uh, we had 10 uh, very recently, but now we're down to seven deacons right now, and we add more every December, and we're thinking about that. I'd like to see us add more, bring on more, okay? But we've got many deacons, and what a deacon is, listen to me, is a servant leader, 
A deacon is a servant leader. I know that you know that, okay? Deacons don't have to be able to teach. They have to be true godly men, and they just serve and help the church in an official leadership position, whatever. Everybody should serve. I already preached that, right? Servants is what we all are, but it's an official position that says, hey, I so love the work of God. I so believe in the church that I want to be a leader as a servant. That's what a deacon is. The other office, though, overseer here is also plural, isn't it? Look again, is it plural? It is. The church needs multiple pastors in it. Now, we don't need multiple me. We don't need multiple people that can uh, preach on Sunday morning, but we need multiple pastors. We need multiple people that know how to teach, multiple people who will take the responsibility to say, no, here's what the Bible says. Multiple people that say, hey, I want to be committed to leading this church in doing what the Bible says. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and in that he says to the overseers and deacons. So that's who it's to. And he says this in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his kind of general standard greeting. He says this often, grace and peace, grace and peace. And that's how the book of Philippians begins. Now next week, we're gonna look specifically at elders and deacons, so be ready for that. Our church needs to deal with that. I want us to look further at it. Invite your friends, tell the people it'd be good to come back on a Sunday night. Next Sunday night, we're gonna look specifically at elders and deacons. Okay? Our church can always stand to get better and better at that. That's how Philippians begins. I want to end by reminding you all of what I started with. We're a church. He's an apostle. He's written a letter to the church, and we want it. As you heard me say this morning, the word of God is what it's all about. It is the foundation. And if Jesus has saved us and we love him, then let's be sure that we're going to be those people. We're going to be that church that is devoted to what he's saying. For those of you that like to come on Sunday evenings or those of you that are here, let's be those who will come back on Sunday evenings and say, man, I want to learn from this letter. Let's learn from the book of Philippians. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for the word that points us to him. And thank you, God, for the book of Philippians. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that says we want to live faithful to the word of God. God, at the same time, I pray, therefore, we would be devoted to it. God, I thank you for the challenge to describe yourself as a servant, as Paul and Timothy did. And I thank you, God, that for the reminder tonight that the saints are the believers. Our identity is so wrapped up in Jesus that we can call ourselves saints. God, I pray that over the next few weeks, you would strengthen our church as we grow in understanding your letter to the church in Philippi. God, thank you for this good Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.